Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. So, James, it's really funny how you've been talking about something to me for for maybe a while now that I was going to say weeks and you mentioned it on our live stream and everything you mentioned it in another episode as well uh, maybe like a month two months back and now you call me today and you tell me you have some crazy news and before we even get started with everything how about you just go ahead and you just fill everyone in so for a while now I've been looking at Yasiel Puig one of the like most talented guys out there. I don't think that there's any sort of denying that the guy is like ridiculously talented. Like he's got some of the best tools in the major leagues and he's put up some of the better seasons of any player that is still playing in the major leagues. He's right in the middle of his prime. He's not been signed. So, and you know, we are aware of the, the sexual assault allegations. Uh, That's a complicated matter. Uh, I don't want to get into that now because it's kind of a unique situation compared to a lot of these cases, but um, I don't think it would be right to say that we definitively know he did anything. Um, If we do find out more information there, I will definitely address it here because that could keep Puig from ever playing in the big leagues again. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he's that kind of guy, but we will see time will tell. Um, however, for a while, I thought that Puig was someone who wasn't like a bad guy, but may have some sort of uh, mental disability that has been undiagnosed. Um, and I was like, okay, is it Asperger's? Is it, you know, ADHD? Is it, you know, what is it? Because there, there's an obsession with his craft, which means, and, and on the kind of level that it is on, is not normal. It's It's kind of not typical. Um, so I was thinking, is his Asperger's where he just is all about his craft and he's not as good with the social aspect or is it ADHD? And I didn't really bring up it, the idea that it was ADHD, but we found out apparently that he had an undiagnosed case of ADHD. His agent, Rachel Luba, also Trevor Bauer's agent, uh, confirms this, uh, contends this. Um, if this is the truth, if, if all of these antics and any of the issues in the clubhouse were simply due to the fact that he'd not been, you know, receiving medication for a very real um, diagnosed disorder, and now he's being treated, which his agent contends, I don't see any reason why this guy's a risky investment anymore, like short-term or long-term. Um, even if you want to have a little bit more you know, insurance on who he is in the long term, sign him for something short term and see where you go from there. Because if this is a guy who all the perceived clubhouse, mental, whatever you want to call it, issues are now in the past with his ability, every team in baseball should be lining up just point blank. Um, and what was your source? What, what was the name? MLBTR. Of the- yeah. MLBTR themselves, the famous MLBTR, MLB trade rumors. Uh, on you know they, they wrote about the latest on his allegations his sexual assault allegations uh, Steve Adams was specifically the reporter writing on this um, and he mentions you know you, it's hard to find this information if you look in the article they only mention it very briefly at the end in quotes 
Puig has been arrested for reckless driving in the past. A lot of players have, to be fair. So football, baseball, basketball, it's an athlete thing, honestly. You know, it might even just be like a young man thing. Like young people are reckless, especially young men. Um, and has drawn team issue discipline issues in the past for being like late to the field and things uh, of that kind of sort. Although his agent, Rachel Luba, contends that was due to an undiagnosed case of ADHD, which is now being treated. Um, Puig has not played in a major league game since the conclusion of 2019. He did report a one-year agreement with the Braves, but it fell through when he tested positive for COVID. So he would have played last year too. Um, And then one thing I also want to note uh, with credit to baseball guy, Sean, for being the person who, who, you know, put me onto this. I never was a big fan of using baseball reference. Okay. Uh, it wasn't really something that I liked to do. It, it didn't, it seemed like it was just repeating the statistics that I learned on fan graphs, repeating the statistics that I learned elsewhere, you know? Uh, but my, my good friend, Sean, baseball guy, Sean, he's got his own channel. Uh, definitely check that out. He makes great content. He showed me that if you go in and you look at the game logs on baseball reference, baseball reference has this little tool that allows you to see how a player did between two periods of time. And I believe if we look at Yasiel Puig in his 2019 season, just, you know, to, to cover this before we move on to our main topic, I believe he was like 23, 24% above league average that year. Let me just make sure I'm a hundred percent on that. 2019, 29, here we go. 2019. 2019 Puig was 20. Oh no, that's 2018. So 2019, he was 1% above league average, but he was playing for two different organizations, which can throw your, it can throw you off. Um, but within that season, this is the part that I, I got really hyped about when I was looking at it. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So he started off his first, his first month, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do a screen share so that everybody can see what I'm talking about here. Here we go. Screen share. All right. <laughs> so his first month of the season, 42 WRC plus, that's awful. He'll, he, he basically doubles it the second month as he's, as he's, you know, rounding into form people with ridiculous bat speed. They take a couple of months typically to round into form and they have crazy good second halves. And then look, he goes off in June. He goes off in July. He has a rough August before rebounding to as good as he was in June for the end of the season. So if we go from here to use using this, which is his baseball reference page, right? And we say he went off in June. Well, when did that really start? That really started on June 4th. All right, let's highlight that. And now let's move all the way to the end of the season. And let's see when he roughly stopped hitting. Roughly right around, what is this? That is a strikeout and that's a walk. Now let's just put it here just because he had a, a crazy, crazy September 24th. And within that period of time, this is just the last season he actually played. He played in 91 games. He had 89 starts. He batted 308. His on-base percentage was 374. His slugging percentage was 519. So if he can do anything close to this now, and look, he got 11 stolen bases, was caught five times. Like, 
over a full year, it's 20 stolen bases with like eight, nine times caught. Um, over a full year, that's like 27 home runs. Over a full year, that's like four or five triples. Over a full year, that's like over 50 doubles. Uh, over a full year, that's like 200 hits. Over a full year, that's like 110 runs scored, about 105 uh, runs batted in, um, 140, 150 strikeouts, 60 walks. So it's not like there's no walks. Like This is a, a really good profile, a really, really good profile. And he did this playing between two teams and, mind you, also two different leagues because uh, the Reds National League, Indians of the American League. But even if we want to do this, and this is why I like to get really excited about Puig, even if we want to take Puig, right? And let's take it back. Okay, here we go. To his 2018 batting statistics. And I'll go over to 2018 on fan graphs too, just so we can see the month-by-month -month breakdowns. He was 23% above league average per WRC plus that year. So definitely a much better performance than 2019. But again, when you're changing between two different leagues, and you're an aggressive hitter like he is. It doesn't really surprise me why on the entitled or in the, on the total season he wasn't uh, really producing at a at a high level. Uh, but in 2018, oh wow, wow, 2018 he would have been one of the greatest hitters in the big leagues, except he had a rough first month. Like Puig's first month of the season in 2018. Look at this, my God, I had no clue he had this good in 2018. Look at this, 60% below league average, then 63% above, 39, 68, 2% below, and then 82% above. That's insane. And now that we've seen that, let's see how that breaks down on what his numbers would look like without the first month, with the first month removed using baseball reference. So this guy needs to get signed, okay? Like, I'm just going to say it now, okay? He needs to get signed today. Like from the second month through the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, a little bit lower batting average, basically 290 batting average, but much more power, much, much more power. Like if you can get anything close to these types of numbers, basically 290 to 315 batting average, Basically a 350 on base percentage, a 510 to a 570 slugging percentage, 20 stolen bases, 20 homers, you know, that kind of 2020 guy uh, with like 40 to 50 doubles a season, 100 runs scored, 100 runs batted in. Bring this guy onto your team. He's only going to cost a one-year deal right now. He's not even going to cost like 10 mil. You, you get him for probably a $6 million deal, maybe a $4 million deal. He's being medicated. He should be fine. Like take a chance. Like baseball, what are you doing? Like you signed Jackie Bradley Jr. Everybody else is signed. Go get this guy. And maybe what they're waiting for is they're waiting for like a court date where they're going to have a little bit more of an assurance on what's going on with this sexual assault allegation thing. Um, but that's really the only thing that I could see holding, holding this up because uh, 300 batting average, uh, 350 on average on base percentage, 2020, 
uh, player, elite defense in a corner outfield position, uh, well over 500 slugging percentage, aggressive profile. He's not working the count to get to more hittable pitches. Um, you could put him in a, in, a, in a different ballpark that works for him, like Fenway or, you know, Fenway actually would work really well for him. Holy cow. It's not a bad idea. Um, but, you know, I know the Houston Astros had interest in him too. Um, <laughs> every time we mention the Astros, man, we got to do something. I'm um, still waiting for the day that you, like, forget to mention it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, like, until I die, I swear. <laughs> but, yeah, like, sign Puig up. Like, give him a chance. Give this guy a chance because now he's being medicated. He signed on with, like, a new agent who's one of the smartest agents in the sport. I mean – Rachel Luba engineered Trevor Bauer's new contract without Rachel Luba. Like it happened. The, co- the contract probably happens in some sort of way because it's Bauer and he's creative, but I don't think it gets done like to the degree it got done. Like she really, like you want to talk about representing your client. She got Bauer exactly what he wanted. And I think she's one of the smartest agents out there, at least um, from the agents that I've heard speak. Like Boris is amazing, you know, but that's like the number one agent in the sport. Casey Close is a pretty great agent as well. Um, Rachel Luba is great, you know. Um, off the top of my head, those are ones that are, you know, some of the best in the business. Um, but yeah, agencies are just real. It's a, it, that's an interesting side of the game to get into because sports agencies, a lot of them, the way that they advertise to their clients to show that, you know, they're, they're getting the best for their clients is kind of manipulative. And the reason why I say that is because that they don't always use the right information. So they'll say, Oh yeah, we're selling you because we know you're a famed power hitter when really they're telling you that because if they were going to try and sell you as like someone who could hit breaking balls, they wouldn't be able to sell you like that. So you're like, Oh, well, you know, they'll be able to sell me as a power hitter. So I'll sign on with them. Like, how do you know they're going to represent you properly? If like, they're not being honest with you about all sides of your game. Like if you're going to be a proper agent, shouldn't you be able to go to a team and be like, look, these are the issues with my player. These are the pluses of my player. This is how they fit on your team. You need them. You're not going to go to a team and be like, this is what my player does well. You need him. No, like that's not, there's the, I, you know, I, I, maybe I guess for like the purpose of like negotiating factor, you want to see how stupid they are, I guess, but I don't, I don't think major league teams are as stupid as they used to be. A few of them are Baltimore uh, and a few of them are stupidly smart, which, you know, the Astros, like, you know, like how could you be like so intelligent enough to think of a way to cheat the entire game and so stupid to like actually go through with it. Like it's, 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 but they got away with it. So whatever, I guess it is smart, right? It really bothers me, man. If you haven't noticed, like I really hate the Astros in my heart of hearts. Like, like, okay, let me put it this way. If it was up to me, they would be banned for life. All of them. And I'm not kidding. Like Bregman, Correa, Guriel, all of them. All of them. I, 
I'd even ban the owner. Like, I need to calm down. I really hate him. I really, really, really hate him. So anyway, before we get into my Astros hate too much, I go we're gonna move out into, we're gonna move into uh, <laughs> our uh, divisional breakdowns. Yes. So this is gonna be a tough one because since we're doing the top two, or like we're not really doing the top two, we're doing the second place team in in the National League Central as well as the second place team in the American League Central. Um, since we're doing those there's going to be some disappointed fans. Um, so let's start off with the National League Central. St. Louis Cardinals fans, I am sorry you're not, you're not going to be in first place. You got Nolan Arenado. I know you're excited. I mean, goodness gracious, you should see how the Cardinals fans are online right now. It's bad. It's legitimately bad. Like, they're comparing Tyler O'Neill to Clint Frazier. They're comparing Dylan Carlson to Andrew McCutcheon. Like Cardinals fans are so like through the roof about this team just because they got Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, like two superstars in name, probably in ability. Like Goldschmidt is probably still a superstar. Arenado definitely is. He's a superstar in every way, name, ability, everything. Goldsmith's been in decline the last three years. He probably still is a superstar this year. It's hard to tell. Um, Carlson is not McCutcheon. He's a switch hitter. He is a patient bat at the plate. I don't even know if he'll be able to play center field. He's probably more of a, a corner outfielder. Not a great base runner, but a decent base runner. I don't know who... Who was comparing him to McCutcheon? McCutcheon is an aggressive hitter that became patient after joining the big leagues. McCutcheon, is, you know, coming up through the, the minors and for the majority of his big league career, an elite center fielder to, to becoming a decent center fielder, to becoming a good left fielder. But like, he's always been like center field and then eventually had to move over. Um, like Carlson is not an elite center fielder. Like McCutcheon had what I would call like 70 to 80 grade wheels when he first came up from the minor leagues. Guy who could steal legitimately 40 bases if he just concentrated on that side of his game. But he was such a good hitter, it didn't matter. His bat speed was so extraordinary that it just didn't matter. And he was just literally like the National League version of Trout for Trout's like first like six, seven years. Like, and then of course, you know, McCutcheon started to decline, but McCutcheon is so great that he even accounted for his decline by becoming more patient so that when he needed to bring out the aggression and cover more zone, he could. He uses this patient approach before he gets to two strikes, and then he gets super aggressive when he is at two strikes to maximize his contact. He's one of the better hitters in the game because even when like it's a really big situation, you need him to be aggressive and you need him to drive in runs, he has that part of his game that he can reach back to because of that aggression. That's why he likes to pimp walks because he understands that this is what's keeping him going as a great player. And I think it's going to keep him going. Like, I don't, I don't see him really dropping off from kind of where he's at over the next few years. Um, he's kind of just who he is at this point, um, which is kind of like a right-handed version of Brett Gardner. 
but with like better offense and key moments and a little bit worse base running. So very similar players. One's a righty, one's a lefty. I, I do think that if Gardner had left the Yankees and he did join the Phillies, if that had happened, it would have been kind of beautiful because he could have put those back-to-back lefty-righty with them being you know similar but also complementing each other and also being former Yankees. And that would have worked really well for you. Um, but yeah, with, with a guy like, uh, to get back to the Cardinals before I get to, uh, you know, into you know, Yankee talk, uh, Dylan Carlson is not a leadoff hitter. Dylan Carlson is not a speedster. Dylan Carlson could probably fake playing center field, but he's more of a, a plus corner outfielder. Dylan Carlson is a patient bat from the, the get-go. Dylan Carlson is a switch hitter at where, you know, with the difference when you're a switch hitter, you have to have a more patient approach. So I'm not really digging him too much there because you need to have both swings working for you at a certain point in the year, but like patient hitters and moreover switch hitters, because they have to get their swing used to the big leagues from both sides. It usually takes them until about midway into the season to be uh, able to really get into it. And if we're talking about rookie switch hitters, I mean, specifically rookie switch hitters, their first year, they don't do anything. And Dylan Carlson was also rushed through the minor leagues and his production against AAA was in the juiced ball year where the juiced ball was in AAA. So I don't know if he's going to even do as much as they think this year to compare him to McCutcheon, however, like the national league compliment for years on end to trout it's it's absolute lunacy it's absolutely nuts it, there, there there's no way you can compare those two players they are nothing alike um it would make more sense to compare like dylan carlson to like dexter fowler or something like that but even then those are slightly different players uh, fowler's much more of a leadoff type with some power um and De- uh, dylan carlson's much more of like a middle of the order type with a little bit of speed, um, but they're similar, I guess, if you're looking at like switch hitting guys, who can play a good corner outfield, but like the Cardinals just lost Dexter Fowler. So to compare Carlson to Dexter Fowler, I don't think that sits well with Cardinals fans because Dexter Fowler didn't really do good while he was with the Cardinals. Um, so I don't get it. I don't, I don't get the McCutcheon comparisons there. And I also really don't get the Tyler O'Neill being compared to Clint Frazier comparisons. Like that's the most lazy comparison I think I've ever heard. Like, and I'm going to call out Cardinals fans for saying that too, because like, okay, Tyler O'Neill, his dad was a bodybuilder and okay. Tyler O'Neill, he's ridiculously ripped. The dude is jacked. He's juiced. Uh, you know, hopefully not on steroids, but like the guy's gigantic. Okay. Um, not in height. He's actually fairly short, but he's, he's just, there's few baseball players, you know, maybe Yandy Diaz, you know, that are just as yoked as this guy. I mean, he's just juiced. He's huge biceps, you know, but being strong doesn't really make you a good hitter like that. Um, and if you look at, you know, O'Neill's numbers, his first year, he was decent, pretty good. Second year, slightly below average. Third year, terrible. Okay. Um, his career average and strikeout rate is like 34% of the time, 35% of the time. 
um, and you're comparing him to Frazier simply because when Frazier first came up to the big leagues, Frazier was ridiculously ripped. You're not comparing them because they're similar players. Okay. I get it. Tyler O'Neill a couple of years ago, won a gold glove, I guess that slipped under my radar, but good for him. You know, Clint Frazier this year, he came in third in right field uh, for the gold glove uh, in the American league. So Frazier's capable of playing defense on, on par with O'Neill. But if you look at them, Frazier has a much better throwing arm from the outfield. He takes better roots to the ball. Like it's solely because O'Neill can really run. He's strong, you know, um, you take it to the base paths uh, in terms of stealing bases. O'Neill is better at stealing, but in terms of overall base running, Frazier is a better base runner. Now, I get where there could be a discrepancy there. So why not? Let's just call it defensively base running a wash. I'm sorry. On offense, it is not comparable. And I don't, I, I, I hear it now, St. Louis fans. I hear you coming into the comments. I, I hear it coming and I hear it seeping in. Oh, but who O'Neill's going to become is Clint Frazier. Shut up. Shush. Just, just be quiet. None of that. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We're not playing those games. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill striking out 34% of the time, 35% of the time, and getting mon- like monstrously worse. Like, just like by a lot each year. Check the WRC+. Plus. Um, it's nothing compared to Frazier, who has been an above-average hitter every single year he's been in the show. It's nothing compared to Frazier who was 49% above league average last year. Whereas like the the difference between the two of them was something along the lines of, I believe like 70, was it 79%? I think it was about 79% difference in WRC plus. Like, I don't want to hear that they're anything similar just because one of the guys plays similar defense is fast and is jacked. And the other guy, similar defense, fast, jacked, but 79% better offensively. They are, they're not the same player. That's like, that's like putting me in like, I don't know, freaking Javier Baez in a room and saying that we're the same player. Like, no. No, nothing close. Just because you're, 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 you're physically yoked, just because, you know, you've been to the gym a lot, you know, doesn't make you automatically as good as, you know, the next guy. That's a ridiculous statement. Anyone who's a baseball fan who just thinks that like, oh, this guy's jacked, so he's going to be as good as that guy. You don't know anything about baseball if you think that. So... But I will mention this. The Cardinals are definitely a team that is that they're going to compete next year. They're definitely a team that if they do get to the playoffs, they can make an actual World Series push because they have designed their team specifically to A, have a sick middle of the order, B, have an elite bullpen and a top playoff starting rotation, C, have an elite defense D have a whole bunch of players who peak in the second half of their seasons. 
or have elite playoff numbers. E, uh, they have a team of guys where they're effective for different reasons. Carlson, effective because he's a switch hitter. Definitely going like, to like, – switch hitters, like I said, they, they take till the second half to do anything, specifically with a guy who was rushed, who the league doesn't know who's a switch hitter. If he does hit, it's going to be in the second half. It's going to be late in the year. It's not like he's not a physical guy. He's strong. Um, you know, you're looking at uh, Austin Dean. The league does not know Austin Dean. I got to watch out Austin Dean in the Arizona Fall League. When the league doesn't know this guy, he's going to have one good year like the Cardinals do. Cardinals and the Rays, they do this all the time. They'll bring a guy up who's super polished, who has some sort of prospect pedigree, so that he has some sort of physicality. He'll be good for one season, maybe one year and a half, and then he'll become league average because the league will adapt and he'll go. They'll trade him. Um, Randy Arizarena hopefully will be one of the exceptions to that rule the way that A.J. Pollock was in the past. But most of the time, these guys, they're good for one year, and then they, you know, the league adapts. Dean looks like to be one of those guys. So they have Dean out there. They have Carlson out there. They have Harrison Bader out there. Now, Bader is one of the better center field defenders. He was slightly above average as a hitter last year coming out of his sophomore slump. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that he actually did hit specifically for the, like, cause if he hits with his level of base running and defense, that's a great player. And I know it's kind of under the radar player, but it's a great player. And I've been watching him a little bit here and there. I saw him in the Arizona fall league when he was out here, he has a decent swing, but going from the juiced ball to without the juiced ball, going from his sophomore slump to, you know, out coming out of that, the fact that he was able to be an above league average hitter, it definitely intrigues me. So you have Austin Dean, who should hit. You have him, who should hit. You have Carlson, who should at least hit in the second half. You have Arnado now. You have Goldschmidt. So Arnado is going to be able to get Goldschmidt some protection. Um, you have Yaddy. Yaddy's a monster playoff hitter. I believe in the last playoffs he battered over 400. So there's that. Um, and then you have. Uh, um, Matt Carpenter, that's right, who uh, is definitely a second-half player. Um, he takes a bit to heat up. The last time he really had an above-average year, I believe he had a period of time where it was like 78 or 79 games in the middle of the season where he had like a WRC plus in the 190s. He was like 90-something percent above league average. So if this is a guy who can get back to you know the kind of bat speed that he used to have, um, he can really hit. So if they do make it to the playoffs and he's hot, they do make it to the playoffs. Carlson's hot. They do make it to the playoffs, you know, with Arnado healthy and Goldschmidt, Yachty, like they can really make a deep playoff run. The thing is, is that like, we're going to be waiting a significant portion of the Cardinals season for the collection of hitters on that team to be warming up and rounding into form. Like Carlson, he's a second-half guy. Uh, Goldschmidt right now is a second-half guy in his decline. Carpenter, second-half guy. Yaddy, he's more of a big-moment guy than a regular-season guy. So a lot of the, the lifting outside of, you know, occasional home runs on mistakes from some of those guys and, you know, selective performance when you need to score runs, a lot of the heavy lifting is going to be done by guys like what you can get out of, Goldschmidt on good days, but more like Arenado, more like Dean, while the league doesn't know him. 
Uh, Bader, hopefully, he can be getting on base for those guys to be driving in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like Goldschmidt, you know, is used to having any sort of lineup protection. Last time he had lineup protection was JD Martinez. So Arnado's going to help there. So maybe he's effective over more portions of the season. And then the other thing is that Arnado's really not used to having any lineup protection. I mean, it's like it was him and Story basically doing the job in Colorado. Like, I don't want to take anything away from Charlie Blackman, but like Blackman hasn't really been himself in the last few years. He's been a decent hitter, but it's been a result of that ballpark, really. Um, and now he's kind of basically done. But uh, Arenado now with that kind of lineup protection and also, you know, knowing that he's, he's had this role of basically having to, you know, carry the whole team's offense on his back before. I mean, if anyone's going to do it for them in the first half, it would be Arenado. Um, but that's the key, being able to be right there with the Cubs, above the Reds, you know, or, or even right there with them by the time the second half happens, because once all your hitters are clicking, you're probably at that point in the season a better team than the Cubs. But as of right now, from where we're looking, the first half of the season is basically 100 games long. So you're using the last, like, 60 games of the season to try and make it past um, the Reds and the Cubs. So it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think that they're going to have the time to get it done, but it's definitely not off the table entirely. So right now, that's where I have the Cardinals. You're a Cardinals fan. Just really hope that your team makes it to the playoffs and that they get an extended, uh, go at things and like at least can make it past the wild card you know because if that happens i mean they could they could win the world series with the team that they have i'm not even gonna just like mess around with that like they totally could um but they need to get there first you got to get to the dance you know to be crowned prom king or whatever (laughs) (laughs) to go from like the most baseball term ever got to get to the dance to like the most like ridiculous, like gives a damn about proms. Anyway, um, <laughs> so let's let's flip it. Let's flip it. Let's get to the America League now, okay? Um, and I do want to mention real quick before we just jump off to the American League that like the Cardinals bullpen is actually pretty cool. Like they got Andrew Miller back there. They got uh, Jordan Hicks back there. Now he's going to be healthy. They got Giovanni Gallegos back there. I think now that the juice balls out of the league, Andrew Miller might come back to being old Andrew Miller, like elite Andrew Miller. Gallegos was really rounding into form last year. I think his underlying numbers um, weren't really as good as, you know, like, well, I wasn't, no, his underlying numbers were as good as we needed them to be. The actual ERA didn't reflect who he really was with the underlying numbers. I think we could see an insanely good season out of Gallegos. If you look at Gallegos highlight film on YouTube, he's all like throughout the highlight film. I want you to like, if you're watching it, go in there and look at the hitters he faces, look at the guys he's getting out. They're all ridiculously good hitters. So uh, when the underlying statistics say that, and when all the guys that you're getting out are like the best hitters in baseball and your highlight film, you're good. So, um, and then of course, 
Hicks in the in the closer role now coming back from injury. Uh, he should still be throwing over 100 miles an hour regularly. Um, I doubt that the injury would take that from him when he was throwing like, what, 104 last year or year before, whatever it was. Um, yeah, he's throwing that hard. Yeah, he's one of the only other guys in baseball who can throw as hard as Chapman. Probably can throw harder than Chapman these days, but uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, they're both right there with each other. So, uh, yeah, the Cardinals have a great bullpen, and then they got Flaherty in the rotation. So, um, yeah, moving on to the American League. Um, second place team. This is another one that's going to hurt, especially because this is the best, you know, team that this city has had. In, in my opinion, actually, you know, this might be the best Minnesota, Twi- Minnesota Twins team in history. Like, this actually might be the best Minnesota Twins team in history. And this goes back, like, a ways. The Twins have been around for a while. So, on one hand, I'm sorry that you're not going to be in first place with the best Minnesota Twins team in history. But I think that just kind of speaks to the number one team in that division. Like, I think that the number one team in your division could legitimately win the World Series in the American League with all due respect to the New York Yankees. And this is coming from a Yankee fan. Like, they, they scare us. So I'll just be real. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's not even disrespect, um, which is interesting, you know? You'd think that, like, as a Yankee fan, the Yankees always beat the Twins in the playoffs. I don't know if you know this, Chris. They always beat the Twins in the playoffs. Um, This is one of the very few things I do know. Yeah, so like one of the interesting things is that you'd think that, you know, me saying this, I'd be like, hey, something like that. Like, no, dude. Like, I'm like waiting for like a Twins team that like, you know, can can match up with us. I kind of like it, you know, year in, year out. I'm like, okay, Twins, can you, can you, can you, can you face us? Can you, can you stop us? You know, like, and, and, and you know, we, we end up beating you, which is like, don't get me wrong. It's fun. Um, but I want to see like a better twins team. I, I want you guys to keep getting better. It's a fun rivalry. I don't know. I love watching. Maybe it's because my team wins a lot, but I, I, I don't know it, it, when, when the twins get better, I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's, let, let's, let's battle again. You know, let's see if we can still get you, you know? So I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. Um, maybe it's because the, you know, uniforms are kind of similar. Maybe it's because like the new stadium of Yankee stadium and the new twins ballpark were built like basically in subsequent years, but I kind of like the rivalry that we got going on and I kind of want to keep it going. So hopefully the twins continue to get better, but I do think that this is probably their best squad, at least in recent years. And that says something because the twins fans have loved Bomba squad where everybody's hitting homers and everything, but what's the point in hitting homers? If you can't pitch, what's the point in hitting homers? If you don't have an elite bullpen, what's the point in hitting homers? If you don't have like, you know, good defense and good base running and you get the idea. This time, this is the most well-rounded Twins team that I've, I've seen. They have offense. They have base running. They have bullpen. They have rotation. They have depth. I mean, they really built their team 
intelligently. Uh, they have three different catching options. They haven't figured out who their catcher is going to be. Mitch Garver could be it. Ryan Jeffers could be it. Top prospect. Um, or it could be Williams Ostadio, who is a personal favorite of mine. Contact machine. Um, it's got to play him every day. I don't know why it hasn't really been done. But if you play him every day, I, he's going to hit. So, and he can play decent defense. So, um, that's catcher. They're going to figure that out next year. First base is Sano. He strikes out too much. Basically, the pressure is on Sano next year. If Sano doesn't, you know, perform and lower the strikeout rate, possibly putting it into the walk rate, you know, become more patient. Uh, they're going to, I think, find a way to platoon there next year and then move on in subsequent years. Um, so no, actually had the highest barrels per batted ball uh, event rate um, in baseball. It was like 21 point something. And that's, a, that's by a lot. He was hitting the ball harder than anyone when he was hitting it. So I think he can stand to dial it back a little bit and still hit the ball hard. Um, but this is the year where he's, He's being forced to do it because Kirilov is ready. And Kirilov can really, really hit. I mean, when Kirilov and Vlad Jr. were both in the minors before Kirilov injured his wrist, people were saying that Kirilov had, like, the best overall hitting profile in the minors to Vlad Jr. And this is before, obviously, the emergence of Eloy Jimenez because that he Eloy Jimenez rose, Kirilov had the wrist injury, and then it was, you know, Vlad and Eloy, you know, but... I think very clearly Kirilov can hit and he's a lefty. So at minimum of Sano can't hit righties and lefties. If he just, you know, only trust, only crushes lefties, you can platoon there and you'll get really great performance. And I think you're going to really like what you see out of, out of Kirilov. I, I don't know if they rushed him to be fair, but a guy with a 70 hit tool and at least 60 power, 55, 60 power, maybe more. It, it kind of hard to rush a lefty bat with, with that much skill. Usually bats like that are righties if they ever exist at all. And guys like that move quick. So he was toasting the minors. He, he did get as high up as high A in 2019. Uh, 2020, if there was a minor league year, he would have been in double A. And at the very end of the season, he was up on their playoff squad. Um, he should start the year in triple A this year, sure. But by mid-June, he'll be, he'll be in the show, in theory, unless, you know, Sano's absolutely going off. Uh, at second base, they've had Luis Arias, but my issue with Arias is that I don't think Arias is going to be able to hit hard-throwing righties for very much longer. He's got great contact skills, sure, but the way he starts his bat is not going to allow him to hit righties for authority unless he starts to change some things. Um, thankfully the Minnesota Twins got a new shortstop. So now they can platoon Jorge Polanco, who wasn't that good of a defender at short anyway, with Arias. And now you're getting elite offense. You're getting elite defense, I think, between the two of them. Um, and decent base running there uh, between that. So that's really good. Platoons also work really, really well in must-win games. Because you have to remember, each hitter, like in a microcosm, you can't look at their numbers in total. You have to look at their numbers versus whatever handedness is on the mound because, you know, it changes. Like pr approaches change uh, versus handedness, especially for people 
uh, actually, especially for people who are lefties, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so moving on from, see, this is the thing with, with, with regards to the Twins. They have lost Eddie Rosario, okay? They have lost some hitting ability in guys like Sano. Uh, Polanco was perceived to be a middle-of-the-order threat um, when he first came up. So they have taken steps back. But the way that they've mitigated this is like, for instance, at catcher where they took a step back with Garver. Well, now they have Jeffers and Ostadio to compete with him. So you're going to get production there. You just don't know which one. Um, and first base, you have Sano, but Sano's also now striking out too much. Well, you have Kirilov. You know, uh, second base, it was Arias, but Arias may now not hit righties. Well, you have him platooning with Polanco. Um, whereas you did not have good defense at second and short up the middle. Now, because Polanco's at second, that's a plus defensive player. And at shortstop, they signed in Drelton Simmons. So you want to talk about making your defense fixed, just fixing your defense. That's what you do. You take your shortstop, you put them at second base, and you bring in the greatest shortstop defensive player uh, in history, defensive shortstop in history, like better than Ozzy Smith. Look at the numbers. Look at the highlights. I don't care in Black Panther voice. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, so you got Simmons there. You got Polanco. Both of them are stud defenders. You got Donaldson back at third. You brought back Nelson Cruz. So between Donaldson and Nelson Cruz, you're not really worried about the middle of the order. You go to the outfield. Okay, I get it. Eddie Rosario left. But Eddie Rosario was also one of your worst hitters, even though he's a good hitter but also one of the worst defensive players in all of baseball. And by midseason, Trevor Larnack is going to be up, and that's a power hitter right there who can also play a quality corner outfield. With Max Kepler in right field and with the only person who can compete defensively with Kevin Kiermeyer in center field, Byron Buxton, the twins have one of the better defenses in the game right now, despite the fact that it's not exactly the best at catcher. So any of their pitching, it's all going to play up. Um, I think that that's an important thing to note. So now this, this Minnesota twins squad is going to be good in big games, offensively in normal games, offensively, they're going to walk enough. They're going to hit for power enough. They're going to have enough defense. They're going to have enough base running mainly because, well, Kepler is, is, is good on the bases, and a few of their other guys are average to manageable on the bases. Even Simmons is slightly above average. Um, all of that is dragged massively towards the roof uh, by Buxton. Buxton is like a top three base runner in the game, and single-handedly he can bring your team's BSR uh, you know, well above league average. If you have a, a you know, a team where the rest of it is just not like guys who are snails, basically, you know, uh, are, are statues on the base paths, um, which, you know, they, they don't really have that. They got a bunch of guys who are either average um, or above average. The only ones that are ridiculously sl slow Garver, but that makes sense because he's a catcher. Same thing with Jeffers. Although it wouldn't surprise me if like, because Jeffers is so in shape and, you know, so fresh up from the minors, wouldn't surprise me if he was about a league average runner for a big leaguer. Uh, Sano is slower than Molasses, um, but that may not matter because his role could be reduced over the year or he could hit so much that it won't matter. Um, 
Although it's also worth mentioning over the last two years, Sano's become a much faster base runner. And last year, his BSR was actually pretty good. So who knows? Maybe, you know, he's figuring something out. Cruz is known to be slow, but that's also the best hitter on your team. I don't care. It's your DH. Your DH is also usually slow. Uh, Donaldson's about average. Simmons is slightly above average. Same thing with Polanco. Uh, Kepler's better than that. Larnack's probably going to be about average. And Buxton, like I said, is one of the like three, five best base runners in the game. So it drags everything up when nothing else is really that bad. Like if it would be, it'd be one thing if they had like three guys, like the Reds do, four guys, five guys, whatever the heck the Reds have, where each of them is negative five BSR on the basis, but they don't have that, you know? So they got base running, they got defense, they got offense. Now looking at their bullpen, they added Alex Colomay and they also have Taylor Rogers. One's righty, one's lefty. Um, and what they've said is similar to the Minnesota or Minnesota, similar to the Tampa Bay Rays. What they're going to do is they're going to have interchangeable roles. So instead of having a set closer, depending on the individual day and depending on the matchup and depending on the situation, they're going to be bringing in different guys, which is kind of how to max out the usage of your bullpen. Like if the Yankees weren't so, you know, set into only using Chapman in the ninth inning. And we could use Chapman in the middle innings too. Awesome. Like that would be such an upgrade. Um, but the Yankees are a very classically put together club and they don't really make those big leaps easily. Whereas a team like Minnesota could do those things just to get the extra advantages, any other extra wins that they could accumulate over the year. Um, in fact, I think this is uh, going to benefit them really well during the regular season because so many of their players walk and so many of their players hit home runs. They're just going to score a high number of runs by default. Um, so they had they have a good bullpen. Moving to their rotation, they got Berrios, who's been growing into his own. Um, it's going to be really interesting seeing what he can do with this kind of defense behind him. Maybe he has that breakout year. You have Pineda, who has been slowly breaking out since about the beginning of June 2019. And that would have lasted all of 2020, but he had some sort of suspension that kept him out for a bit. But then once he came back from the suspension, he was putting up the same numbers. So now he's pitched something along the lines of like 120, 140 innings of being an ace. So now we get to see it over a full year. That's going to be really fun. He's six foot seven. And right now he's throwing, I believe, in camp at about 91, 92 which means probably by the end of camp, he's hitting 94, I'm going to say, touching 94, probably 92 to 94, um, which means midsummer at his best, you're probably seeing 97, something like that. Um, I remember in previous years, he's usually a guy who throws 94 to 96, but since he's already up to like 91, 92, so early in camp, um, as a guy who like, he he has to condition himself a certain way being six foot seven. So when he comes into camp, like, like I've seen him come into camp in recent years, throwing 90, 91. The fact that he's already up to 91, 92 means that that usual 94 to 96 could be 95 to 97. And uh, the difference it doesn't seem like it would be that much, but for a guy of his height, 
97 seems like 99. It's part of the reason why he's been able to be as effective as he has after the shoulder surgery. I mean, he legitimately got shoulder surgery that took him from throwing 100, 101 miles an hour to 91, 92, 93. Um, and he's still trying to make, well, I wouldn't say he's still trying to make his way back from it because he's, he pitched, he's pitched like an ace for like 130 innings, something like that. But in terms of the velocity, the velocity is still yet to come all the way back. It's why like mid-year, instead of back in the day, 101, mid-year, it's 96. Looks like this year, 97. Next year, maybe he can get it up to 98. Maybe he can start creeping it up there as, you know, he, he fills out more as he gets closer to his prime. Uh, frankly, if he just gets the job done, that's all I care about. And I'm a big Pineda fan. thought the Yankees should have never let him go. And every time I have to watch him pitch, I grimace because it's like, he could have stayed as a Yankee. We could have kept this guy, you know? Um, and then the Twins, you got uh, Kenta Maeda as well, who uh, – He's always been a guy who I've thought of as an ace and the Dodgers just never wanted to give him a legitimate chance. And then, you know, you traded for him and then there you go. Look what he just did. ERA in the twos. So between those three guys, you have a good top of the rotation. You brought in J.A. Happ, another former Yankee. I've never liked Happ. Happ is made for big ballparks. He goes lots of innings. He's a good three starter. You have him as your four starter to eat up innings. Back of the rotation, you got Balazovic, top prospect. You got Randy Dobnak. Dobnak can cover until Balazovic's ready. I do have to mention, anytime I talk about Randy Dobnak, that this guy has one of the coolest stories of any player in the big leagues. Randy Dobnak, within like two, three years ago, was an Uber driver out here in Phoenix, Arizona. And he just worked on his craft. One day, some people who are like pitching coaches saw him throwing, signed him up. Now he's making millions of dollars as like one of the starting pitchers or relievers, depending on how they're going to use him for the Minnesota Twins, a playoff bound team. Like, <laughs> or at least probably playoff bound. I think they're going to be playoff bound. They're, they're, they're going to be playoff bound. But I, I, I don't know. I think that, uh, I think that the Twins are in a very good position, and I think that this is the best Twins team I think I've seen in my entire life. Um, yeah, Twins fans, be excited. I mean, I'll tell you, it's maddening to watch baseball where the bullpen ruins your games, and that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. It's maddening to watch baseball where every day the starting pitcher just lets up three-run bombs, you know? You're not going to get that. It's maddening to watch baseball where your team can't score runs. You know, it's maddening to watch baseball where like your team is constantly like station to stationing it. Like no one's going first to third. No one's going second to home. No one's really doing lots of tagging up. There's no stealing going on. You're going to, you're going to have that, you know? And then of course yet you add on the fact that you have the best defensive shortstop and the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball on the same team, you're going to see great defense too. So at minimum, this is going to be one of the most exciting Minnesota Twins teams in recent memory. Uh, at maximum, maybe something will go wrong with the number one team and they'll be able to win the division, get a five-game playoff. So um, definitely a really exciting team to follow this year because they're going to be competitive and they're going to decide their fate ultimately um it's not necessarily that they are that much removed from
from the number one team. It's just the number one team has what they have going for them. So if the Minnesota Twins, like, you know, say Sano wants to dial in the zone and start hitting for 40 bomb power, that's in his control. You know, he needs to be able to take that step. You know, Donaldson and Cruz preserving their ability throughout the aging process. That's on them, you know. Uh, being able to convert your minor league hitting numbers to the big leagues, that's on the whole catching situation. All three of them, whichever one does it, you know. Um, being in a platoon, it's going to be the first time for a Rise or Polanco. So, I mean, a lot of this rests on their shoulders, how well they take to their new assignments, their new teams, their new, in, in, in Simmons' case, you know, um, their promotions in, you know, Larnack's case or in Kirilov's case. Um, but across the board, this is going to be one of the most fun teams to watch on a consistent basis because that's the one thing that a lot of people don't talk about. Walks and power are what play during the regular season, and the Twins have some of the most of both. It's not like there's going to be lots of games where they just don't score. It's going to be consistently scoring. So big fan of the Twins. Hate to put them in the second spot, but that's where they're going to be. That's what I got. I think that was a good one. That was, that was, you were very, you were very hopeful with the twins because in the beginning, before we started recording, you were, you were a tad bit on the, on, on the other side of the, the rope, like, kind of like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but that was, yeah. You know, I don't want to speak too badly about like J.A. Hat, you know, because he's a good pitcher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I could rip on them for Hap, but really Hap, like he just wasn't a good fit for the Yankees. Like I, I don't hate Hap because, you know, Hap's a bad player or Hap's a bad person, good person, good player. I just hate him because he was not a good fit for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. He had a good last year, but I, I like, I don't trust him in big spots. I don't trust him in that ballpark. He just wasn't a good fit. Um, I do think it's a genuinely good fit in Minnesota. They have a much bigger ballpark. Even with them bringing in the fences like they did, uh, I, I think they have a perfect ballpark for him. I just, I, he's a perfect twin. I just think about his profile and I'm like, hmm, what teams would he do well with? Well, what does he do? He pitches a lot of innings. So he saves your bullpen, gives your bullpen basically the night off mostly um and he'll give your team a chance to win the game you know seven innings three runs seven innings four runs seven innings five runs and if you're the minnesota twins who can consistently put up five or more runs then you're that's a guy you're going to get the most out of right and if the ballpark's as big as it is then it should work for him too Mm -hmm. so I just think it fits. Now, everyone, please remember that we are now live streaming once a month. So our first live streaming, our first live stream was last week. And it is live on YouTube. We've already gotten a couple of views on it. And we're going to be transferring that over into an audio format to add it to the podcast. So it's available in both areas. Um, if you don't know where to find it, Always drop into the description of these podcasts. 
and you will find the Hot Takes with James YouTube link down there. And thank you so much for listening. Catch you on the next one.